be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I have to confess to you that I've been troubled by that passage all of my life. It's a very Wesleyan passage. John Wesley uh, encouraged uh, Christian perfection, perfection in love. But uh, it's been a, a challenge over the years. Uh, when United Methodist pastors are ordained, the uh, bishop lines all of the ordinands up on the stage there at Hoover Auditorium over in, in Lakeside and uh, ask them uh, 19 historic questions. This happens every ordination uh, at annual conference. Question two, three, and four of those historic questions are these. Number two, are you going on to perfection? Number three, you expect to be made perfect in love in this life. And number four, are you earnestly striving after it. That's when you begin to hear a lot of throats uh, clearing and uh, people shifting weight from one foot to the other, kind of hemming and hawing around, and probably a less than resounding yes uh, in response. I committed my life to Christ on uh, June the 9th, 1963, just a few years ago. Uh, I was 17 years of age at the time. Uh, just uh, two days after uh, I was graduated from high school down in Sarasota, Florida. And um, I remember at that time uh, wanting to be all of the Christian that I could be. I'm also an old army guy, so, uh, you know, that old saying, be all you can be, uh, that applied to my Christian life as well. Uh, and I looked for a lot of help with that. Uh, I tried a couple of other denominations. Uh, tried out that charismatic thing back in my college days, never got the hang of that, but uh, I was a new Christian, and, and I wanted to get it right, be perfect. Of course, uh, my, my theology had to be perfect as well. Uh, I had to know the truth, still working on that, um, but I'm depending on grace a little more these days than perhaps I was back, back then. Uh, but it's been quite a, a journey, quite a few experiences along the way. Uh, and I've tried to be reflective over the years and contemplative, if you will, asking God to search my heart and my motives. Uh, but the road to perfection, I must confess, has been a bit uh, elusive. Uh, I thought I had some help a while back. Uh, I'm a serious family historian, you know, that genealogy thing. I know some of you are as, as well. In, in my many forays into my family history, I made a breakthrough a few years ago in my great-grandmother's, uh, one of my great-grandmother's lines, and uh, it took me back to a colonial uh, ancestor who was a preacher, um, a sixth great-grandfather. His name was Reverend Joseph Bellamy, 1719 to 1790. Uh, and it turns out that he was uh, quite well known at the time. Uh, he graduated from Yale College at the age of 16, went on to study theology with that famous uh, preacher, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, they remained close friends throughout their lives. Uh, 
Bellamy's works were uh, published uh, posthumously in three volumes in 1812 uh, with some commentary on his life. Uh, seems he played a, a pretty important role in the first Great Awakening in our country, if you remember our history. My wife, Medora, and I uh, took a vacation to New England a few years ago and uh, visited his home in Bethlehem, Connecticut, uh, which is a national historic site and uh, kept open uh, to the public by the Connecticut Historical Association. And I've discovered that he's still in print uh, and purchased from Amazon a copy of his book, True Religion Delineated. Now there's a, a, an intimidating title for you, True Religion. Uh, delineated. Now, I thought Grandpa just might give me a little help down the road toward perfection with a title like that, at least getting my theology right. Uh, if you're going to read this, I would recommend that you make some strong coffee. Uh, Got to be stronger than Les's coffee out there. Uh, uh, or if you're suffering from insomnia, you want to get a copy of this. Uh, um, you ask where I'm going with all of this. Uh, I always come the long way around the barn. Uh, in the biographical introduction to that three-volume set uh, called The Works of Joseph Bellamy that I previously mentioned, I came across this interesting piece of conversation. Remember, this was written in 1812. The writer says, No man was more prompt in all things at any hazard to follow out his convictions of duty. As one of many instances of this, it is related that Dr. Hopkins, who at that time was much engaged in the urging of the sinfulness of slavery, called one day at the house of Dr. Bellamy, and while there pressed on the latter the duty of liberating his only slave. Dr. Bellamy defended the custom of slaveholding by the usual arguments but Dr. Hopkins, having refuted them one after another, called upon his friend at once in this case to act on the principle of doing unto others as he would have them do unto him. In reply, Dr. Bellamy said the slave was so faithful and judicious that he was trusted with everything and in these circumstances was so happy in his servitude that he would not accept his freedom if it were offered. Will you liberate him if he desires it, said Dr. Hopkins. Yes, said Dr. Bellamy, I will. Call him, said Dr. Hopkins. And as he entered, Bellamy asked him, Have you a good, kind master? Oh, yes, was the reply. Very, very good. And are you happy in your present condition? Yes, master, very happy. But would you be more happy if you were free? His eyes brightened with emotion and pleasure as he promptly replied, Oh, yes, Master, I would be much more happy. You have your desire, said Dr. Bellamy, promptly and most kindly. From this moment, you are free. So I concluded that for all Grandpa knew about true religion, he was still discovering new truth, trying to get it right. And I hope that's true for all of us. 
I think sometimes we complicate the, uh, the truth a bit much. Uh, just about the time we've, uh, we've got true religion down, you know, got it right, uh, along comes Dr. Hopkins, and we discover our old truth wasn't as true as we thought it to be. Truth is uh, elusive. The Apostle Paul said, now we see things imperfectly, like uh, puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. You remember Jesus boiled the truth uh, down when the lawyer asked him which was the most important commandment. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all, all, the law and the prophets. So Jesus gave us what uh, theologians call a hermeneutical principle, that is a principle of, of biblical interpretation. When you're reading the scriptures and you're reading, your understanding does not square with loving God and your neighbor as yourself, well, then you need to go back and read it again. As I've uh, driven up and down the streets and the highways of our country, I, I've noticed a lot of churches out there, a lot of churches out there on these country uh, roads and county roads out there uh, in town, everywhere. And uh, many of them are advertising on their marquees in one way or another a, a unique, unique claim to be the, uh, the true religion. We preach the whole gospel, the sign says, or... Uh, we preach the truth. Don't know what the other guys are preaching, but uh, they've got the whole gospel. They kind of have a corner on it, you know. In the book of James, the writer makes it simply understood once again. Pure religion, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Or as the prophet, prophet Micah uh, put it, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, maybe right action is more important than uh, right belief when it comes to getting it right. Um, Folks, I, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, I'm kind of getting on in my years now, but I'm still looking for the truth. Uh, I'm still uh, trying to get it right. Uh, it's not been an easy task. If that's your story, I'm, I'm in safe company here this morning. Uh, I don't know that our faith and being a disciple of Jesus is all that complicated nor is it all that easy. It certainly requires us to swim upstream in a, in a world that's uh, going the other direction. But most of all, it requires grace. Grace to make up for our 
imperfections and the, uh, the ability to extend that same grace to others. Uh, there's an old story that is attributed to Rabbi Moses Mendelssohn, the uh, grandfather of the uh, great German composer Felix Mendelssohn. The story uh, tells of a woman who once asked the teacher, which is the true religion? And the teacher replied, once there was a magic ring which gave its bearer the gifts of grace, kindness, and generosity. When the owner of the ring was on his deathbed, each of his three sons came separately and asked him for the ring. The old man promised the ring to each of them. He then sent for the finest jeweler in the land and paid him to make uh, two rings identical to the original. The jeweler did so, and before he died, the father gave each son, uh, without telling the other, gave each son a ring uh, without telling the other two. Well, inevitably, uh, the three sons discovered that each one had the ring. And they appeared before a local judge and asked the judge for his help in deciding which one had the real ring. And the judge examined the uh, three rings and found them to be all alike. And then he said, why must one decide now? We'll know who has the magic ring when we observe the direction that your life takes. Well, each of the brothers then acted as if he had the magic ring by being kind and honest and thoughtful. Now, the teacher concluded, religions are like the three brothers. The moment that their members cease striving for justice and love, will know that their religion is not the one that God gave to the world. As uh, we endeavor to go on to perfection as Christians and church leaders, we need to remember that there are others uh, looking to us for what is true, for what is real, what is authentic. And most often that can't be found in a treatise on true religion or a sermon full of rigid theology or a sign planted to in the yard out in front of the church, but it can be found in a life that stays in love with God and in relationships that extend God's love, God's compassion, God's grace and peace. I think that what's most important is that we introduce people to Jesus, help them find the excitement and being a disciple of our Lord, walking with Jesus. My friends, people are looking for Christ. And it may be that they'll find him, not so much in our words, but in that relationship that they'll have with us. They're looking for real Christians, real Christians to follow, to team up with. They're looking for people who, whose very lives, the way they live, uh, shows forth uh, grace, the love, compassion, the peace of Christ. Then maybe they'll say, 
I want to follow Jesus too. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are you ready? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, every time we open your word, we are challenged by what we find there in those stories. We want our lives to measure up. We want to be the best that we can be for you, but we discover each day that we are so much in need of your grace. Nonetheless, we pray that you would uh, encourage us and energize us and uh, lead us in that way that you would have us to go, uh, being more like Christ each day and uh, letting his light shine through us that others might come to know him as well. We ask this in his name. Amen.